And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Who is Ramses Ja? I am Q Ward. You are listening to Civic Cypher. Indeed you are. Um, we got a lot more show in stove for you. So, um, stay tuned because we're going to be talking about Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem that was banned in Florida. Okay. We're also going to be talking about the Zoot Suit Riots for our Way Black History fact. You know, um, black history is plentiful and black history is beautiful. We do definitely need to talk about it, but. We do our best to share this space um, with other marginalized groups and our Mexican-American brothers and sisters. We want to make sure that we tell a little bit of a story um, about how they've been treated in the past as well. So stay tuned for that. I, I promise you'll like it. But uh, before we get to all that, we're going to discuss BABA, Becoming a Better Ally, Baba. Today's Baba is sponsored by Unknown Union, the fashion house situated at the intersection of meaning, innovation, and culture. For more info, check unknownunion.com. And today, for our Baba, we're going to shout out some police departments. I know. I know. If you listen to this show, I know. If you feel how we feel, I know. But credit where it's due. We always said that we were going to do that, right? Today, credit where it's due. Baby steps but credit where it's due. I'll read. From CNN, the Cincinnati Police Department implemented a new policy limiting police chases to violent felony offenses, the latest city to restrict the r risky police tactic. The Atlanta Police Department updated its policy last summer, similarly limiting police to pursuits in cases where violence is suspected. Chicago police are forbidden from chasing for traffic or theft offenses and required to balance the police action against the risk to the public. The policy in Volusia County, Florida, updated last January, states that apprehending a suspect is, quote, never more important than the safety of innocent motorists or deputies. Quote. Like many tactics that came into vogue in the 1980s and 1990s, as police departments across the country led the war on drugs, Police chases have fallen out of favor among police leadership and mayors and city councils that oversee them. So what that means is that police chases that often end up with innocent people getting hurt or killed, that end up with police getting hurt and killed in some instances, and creating a danger to, to the public, they're starting to rethink what police chases could look like and should look like. That's not everything, but critically, that's not nothing. Thank you for starting to become a better ally. <laughs> Credit where it's due, man. The we, effort is appreciated. Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. look down my nose at baby steps. It's yeah. the no steps that bugs me. Sure. It's the five steps forward to 20 steps back. Yeah, of course. Right? The, it's the response to our progress by making sure you go out of your way to drive us backwards and, in, 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 you know, in response to it, that makes me you know, sometimes feel hopeless. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so now we have a big one. It's not big in the way no, of no, life no, and no, death. No, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare make this smaller. Don't shrink it. Don't marginalize it. 
This is massive. Well, the, the point I'm making is that it's not a life and death thing, but I think it's mission critical. It's a big one because it's it's critical to the conversations that we're having about this country. It's critical because it calls into question who has the power? What are they doing with the power? What are they afraid of? Is it founded, well-founded? And have you or the people around you, our listener, been able to be scared into adopting policies hmm. that are not based in a shared reality? Maybe our listeners have it, but a lot of people around the country have. Sure, sure. But but here's here's the point. Some of our listeners understand some of the things that we say and, and don't understand some of the other things. But I think more importantly, some of our listeners belong to either social circles with folks who don't share their opinions politically and don't share their capacity for compassion because they just lack insight and they lack perspective and access to real stories. And we empower those folks to then take into their social circles or their work circles or whatever, their family circles. We empower our listeners to take this content into those circles and then create the changes and create the ripple effects that we're hoping will one day wash back up onto the shore that we know of as Civic Cipher, right? So again, today, I want to talk about Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem. So, um, and, and we'll be doing some reading from the Atlantic, uh, the Atlanta Black Star. I want to shout them out because we do pull from them frequently as well. So for those that don't know, when, when, uh, President Biden was elected, okay, uh, he had a little girl named Amanda Gorman, Gorman, sorry, um, come up and, read a poem and the poem was very powerful if you google it, it it had a viral moment and it felt very special especially for folks who had to deal with a lot under the previous administration okay. uh, her poem was one based on hope was based on obviously there's some legacy and and you know we're looking backward and indeed looking forward and understanding where we are, what this moment means, and that a better future is possible. And you got to also imagine being in that moment after January 6th had happened and after, you know, a very um, highly contested election process and on and on and on. Okay. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I'm a big, huge Joe Biden fan. I think that I, I'm, a, I'm a Bernie Sanders guy. <laughs> yeah. I think the moment is less about who won and more about who didn't. That's the exactly. Okay. Thank you for saying that. So this little girl, she writes a very powerful poem, gets to come up um, in front of the entire country and share this poem. Okay. In front of most of the world, I'm sure. The world, indeed. So I'm going to read a bit. The mother who had, oh, let me, before I get yeah, there. Preface. Before I get there. Yes. So again, this poem, a very special poem, um, in Florida, uh, I know you've been keeping up with it, but for those that haven't been in Florida, it's been interesting. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? He's so kind. 
and graceful. Florida, yes, has been interesting. Okay, okay. So the reason I choose that word, because I know the real word, as you know, you know full well, I know the real word. But the reason I, I choose that word is because, as I mentioned, some of the people who might be listening today who care about these things, they might have gotten a dose of the far right wing, deeply conservative, hateful content rebranded as policy intended to ensure that children aren't made to feel bad. And in this context, the word conservative doesn't mean conservative. Right. It's a political ideology. Right. Fascist. <laughs> so anyway, um, so when I say interesting, it's because I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that some people sincerely believe that these policies exist to equalize everyone's feelings when in fact they're intended to center the feelings of white children and to deny educational opportunities and understanding of their past and critically their present. Why are we poor? Why are my people going through this? We are not bad people. What's going on? Denying that reality by denying the past ensures that power will be seated in one place well into the future. This is not new. This is textbook fascism. Okay. But some of our listeners may not know that because this may not be their reality. As you mentioned, people have full lives. Okay. They might listen to us once a week and this might be all that they have. And so I choose that word because I don't want to make anyone seem like they're wrong. I recognize that many people have been misled. And so thank you for pointing that out. But for those that agree with Q, and, and you should, that that's not the right word, just know that I chose that word because there are some of our listeners who may not agree with what I'm about to say. And I need them to keep listening until I've made my point. So um, in Florida, the interesting goings on are, if I were to state it briefly, the attacks on what has become known as critical race theory, which is, in fact, American history. And that's important to point out, too, because critical race theory is not actually being attacked. Critical race theory is not actually what they're trying to ban. They are trying to ban American history. Right. Uh, and they've used critical race theory, a an idea or an ideology that people are not familiar with, and they use that to brand Black American history. Yeah. CRT is like, like a master's level collegiate yeah, <laughs> academic that is pursuit. Not what these kindergartners and K through 12 students are being taught. Not at all. But they've turned it into that to give, to fear monger, to, yeah, to rewrite the to textbooks. Right. Yes. Sure. Now, it has spilled out in Florida and now in other states, Texas, I believe Kansas as well. Um, to attacks on books that may not necessarily be based on American history, but books that articulate the Black experience in this country, books that articulate folks who have been relegated to the margins, their experience in this country, books that highlight brilliant thinkers who have insight and knowledge on how to get from where we are to a more equitable society. Mm. And these books 
have been under attack. So it goes well beyond C quote unquote CRT. Anything that is slightly progressive toward, I won't even say equity, I'll say even equality. Yeah. Even just basic information. Basic right? information, it's not, sure. It's not a book on racism will be banned. It's a book that has the word racism in it. Oh, the word in Texas. They they want to ban the word you racism from the UC Texas. Yeah, and we talked about that so last it's week. It's not even, you know, it's not even the collective meanings or teachings of a book. You know, mentioning slavery, mentioning race. They're trying to make talking about it. Talking about saying words illegal. Yeah. Yeah. You could lose your job and you'd be jailed for saying yeah, the word racist. Prosecuted. Racism, indeed. So this is where we are. Yeah. Now, I needed you to know that so that this makes sense. Um, so the little girl who wrote the poem, that poem has been banned. Okay. One person was successful in banning this poem. Okay. Now one person was instrumental. One one person was successful makes it seem like a lot of people tried and only one person got okay, through. Okay, thank no. you for that. Yeah. One person's problem, one person's complaint, one person's effort singularly led to the poem being banned comprehensively and collectively and unilaterally for everyone in the entire state of Florida. Now as I mentioned, she read this at the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States of America. It is history now, and it is banned in one of the United States of America's 50 states for people to read it if they are in school, okay? Because, again, of one person's efforts. Now, yeah. go ahead. I'll let you read, but I was going to ask you, do you know why is it? Oh, we'll get to it. Because this person was offended or. Oh, listen, let's let's. OK, so we can be honest, me and you, Q. Hurt. We can we can be honest. Let's so let's be honest with each other. And you, our listener, gets to listen to this honest moment that Q and I are going to have. OK, I'm going to tell you something you already know. And you know that I know this. Yes. OK, I just. You know. So so I'm going to say it for the benefit of our listeners who are listening. So this is not me talking to you, the listener. This is me talking to Q, my brother. This is a behind the scenes conversation that you're going to get full access to. This is a conversation that I'm sure happens in black households and social circles across America if, in fact, their thoughts rise to the political arena. Okay, They're banning black authors. They're silencing black voices. And anybody who has anything to do with empowering black people, they're on the menu too. That's what it is. And the reason I know that is because at the end of this, you'll find that the woman who was instrumental in banning this poem didn't even read it. Okay, I'll read now. Again, shout out to the Atlanta Black Star. <laughs> the mother who had Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem banned in a Florida school reportedly has ties to the Proud Boys. Daily Salinas reportedly posted anti-Semitic memes on social media and was in attendance at Proud Boys rallies. Okay, so remember I said we're going to establish who has the power. 
So you already know who this person is. This is a white person, a white woman who is has ties to a well-documented far-right extremist group that is decidedly anti-black, anti-LGBTQIA+, uh, anti-immigrant, uh, uh, anti-anybody that's not Proud Boys, you know? Um, okay, where was I? Salinas protested five books at the library, uh, from the library at Bob Graham Education Center in Miami Lakes, Florida, including Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, as well as the ABCs of Black History, Love to Langston, Countries in the, New, the News Cuba, and Cuban Kids. Salinas claimed in March that Love to Langston includes references to critical race theory and indirect hate messages. Okay. And I really, really, really want people to think about that. Indirect hate messages. Because if there's somebody who has studied black history, I'm not going to say I know black history better than Pew or, you know, a lot of other folks, but I definitely have done my research. I, I have I've done enough research to know a little bit about what I'm talking about which is more than the average person. I have degrees on my wall, which doesn't mean anything, but it does show that I have read the books, okay? I have never, ever, even remotely come close to finding something from a black author that was hateful toward white people. Never seen it, okay? I've I, The closest that people... Uh, they try to make a big deal out of is like slave revolts and things like this, right? And understanding the framework and the context of which these slave revolts took place kind of makes sense. You know, if that's my only out, if I'm going to work my way to death or I can die fighting for what I believe is right, you know, that this country was built on that. So I'm not mad at anybody. Yeah, there, who does was, that. there was no way to revolt against the system of slavery without revolting against. Boom. Thank you. But outside of that, the majority of owners that were white, I have a I have a textbook downstairs in my house from when I was in college, and I took an African American literature class. Okay, not a history class, literature. These are the writings of Black people going all the way back to the 1600s and maybe even before, because some of those got shared in the oral tradition in slavery. Okay. Um, Oludara and the interesting narrative that we saw when we went to the National Museum of uh, sorry, the, the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Shout out to them. Um, all the way up to Jagged Edge's lyrics in their songs. And, you know, this was what was going on at the time when I was in college. All huge textbooks still have it right now. Dr. Camilla Westenberg was my teacher. Never came across anything that said indirect, that, that said that it was a, a hate message or a hateful letter, okay? And for her to say that this, uh, um, where does it go? Uh, here we go. Love to Langston includes references to critical race theory and indirect hate, hate messages. Let's me know that she has absolutely no idea what she's talking about. And wherever she's getting that from, is someone making a huge stretch. Now, oh, I can find yeah, lots of writings. Hang on, real quick. I can find lots of writings from white folks about and to black people 
extremely hateful, prominent, and we don't have elected do, white folks. We don't have to do much research to know not only does she not know what she's talking about, but that she's just bold faced lying. Absolutely. Again, it reveals itself later in this same story, if you will, Ramsey. So, Selena's claim that she is not a member of Mom for, Moms for Liberty or the Proud Boys and was only attending some of the same events. She also admitted that she hasn't read the poem by Gorman, as I mentioned, and that she she wanted to be uh, she wanted them to be banned from her children's school, and um, she blamed. Sorry, let me read this right. She said they have to read for me because I'm not an expert, so she's not a reader. Um, she says she's not a book person. She's a mom involved in her children's education. I also don't want people to think that you said that last part. She says, I'm not a reader right here. Yeah, sorry. She quote. says that. Yeah. Cause yeah. you said, <laughs> okay. I mean, they have to read. Yeah, sorry. I lost my place. <laughs> I'm not an expert. And then you said, she's not a reader. Yeah. No, she said, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. Yeah. I'm not a book person. I'm a mom involved in my children's education. So that lets me further know how involved in your children's education are you if you're not a reader or a book person? And how do you feel like taking down this book, Love to Langston, uh, is going to affect folks if you haven't read it? And how can you make an assessment like it has indirect indirect hate messages if you're not a reader? Right. So so here's here's where we are with this. OK. Um, this one woman was instrumental in affecting these outcomes that have had ripple effects throughout the entire state of Florida. Okay. So who are we talking about here? Is this a black woman? Okay. I'll answer for you. No, of course not. No. Okay. Does this center the black perspective? Absolutely not. Does this center a, an anti-black perspective? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Now for folks who are decent individuals with a just moral compass that recognize how important equity is, how important treating each other as human beings is, how important, how important allowing people their identities and their cultures and ensuring that everyone has a just go at a society that we all partake in and, and share. This should be a gigantic red flag. And for folks who have in recent um, months said to us through social media or whatever, hey, you know, Ron DeSantis is, you know, he's he's better than Trump. He's, you know, this and that and the other, whatever, whatever your opinion is on that. I need you to understand sort of his 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 rise to national prominence and what that was built on that's built on very hateful messaging very divisive messaging it's, it does not allow for a black perspective and it's scary because he's actually better at being a politician than his cohort or colleague competition now yeah now competition donald trump which gives us an evil and more evil as choice which is scary that Trump, just by nature of being less competent, might be less dangerous, um, even though I'm not certain that I believe that. Well, uh, important to note, Gorman's poem was not banned, but the schools did restrict who could read the material, claiming it was better suited for middle school children. Right. Now, remember, 
I, I don't believe the little girl that read it was a middle school student. I believe she was still in elementary school, but I could be wrong on that. And feel free to correct me, but uh, that's just the way I'm remembering it. And so that restriction is not nothing. And of course, it's brought that into fire, under fire, and indeed caused us to talk about it today. So remember who's being centered. Now it's time for the Way Black History Fact. Um, today's Way Black History Fact is sponsored by Underground Beach Club, from the streets to the beach. For the finest in beachwear, visit undergroundbeachclub.com. Today we're going to be talking about the Zoot Suit Riots. Now, I will warn you, I pulled these from a few different sources because I wanted to make sure that I could paint this picture in a short amount of time. So forgive me if you hear a couple of things twice, but um, I'm going to do my best for you. The Zoot, Suit, the Zoot Suit Riots were a series of riots that took place from June 3rd through 8th in 1943 in Los Angeles, California, in the United States, involving American servicemen stationed in Southern California and young Latino and Mexican-American city residents. It was one of the dozen wartime industrial cities that suffered race-related riots in the summer of 1943, along with Mobile, Mobile Alabama, Beaumont, Texas, Detroit, Michigan, and New York City. So shout out to uh, Los Angeles and Detroit one time because me and Q are in the building. All right. American servicemen and white Angelinos attacked and stripped children, teenagers and youths who wore zoot suits, ostensibly because they considered the outfits, which were made from large amounts of fab fabric, to be unpatriotic during World War II. Rationing of fabrics and certain foods was required at the time for the war effort. While most of the violence was directed toward Mexican-American youth, African-American and Filipino-American youths were also wearing uh, who were wearing zoot suits were also attacked the zoot suit riots were related to fears and hostilities aroused by the coverage of the sleepy lagoon murder trial following the killing of a young latino man in what was then an unincorporated commercial area near los angeles the riot appeared to trigger similar attacks that year against latinos in chicago san diego oakland evansville philadelphia and new york city the defiance of zoot suitors became inspirational for chicanos during the chicano movement one of the first conflicts between sailors and zoot suitors was in August 1942 near Chinatown. The sailors who trained in the Chavez Ravine went to Chinatown on leave. A sailor and his girlfriend were walking when four zoot suitors blocked the sidewalk in front of them. The zoot suitors refused to let them pass and pushed the sailor onto the street. The young zoot suitor and the sailor stood their ground in silence until finally the sailor backed away. Um, so again, this comes from... Uh, largely from wikipedia but a few sources so feel free to go and check out the rest of this um let me tell you what a zoot suit is in case you don't know zoot suit fashion found its origin in the urban black scene during the 1940s this style of clothing cultivated a sense of racial pride and significance however the fashion statement suit made its way to the wardrobes of young southern california mexican americans italians and filipinos who became quintessential wearers of the zoot suit um, i want to stop right here um I'm from Los Angeles, and while we say the zoot suit was borrowed from black culture, low riding culture uh, was borrowed from Latino culture. And I want to make sure that I say as often as I can that we have a long history of fellowship between black people and Mexican people that I love. Um, shout out to my sons, Christian and Adoniah, who are both half Mexican. And shout out to all my Mexican uh, American brothers and sisters, um, because we have a long history that many of us don't know about, and most of us get along fine, but 
we could still do better your niece and nephew nephew indeed both yeah half black and mexican i see you Ico and grayson too all right oh and i have other nieces and nephews who are as well <laughs> all right the transfer and sharing of the zoot suit fashion indicated a growing influence of african-american popular culture on young mexican-americans italian-americans and filipino-americans additionally analysis of the los angeles zoot suit riot and journalists and politicians in the outfits connections with race relations slang jazz music and dance permit an understanding of the politics and social significance of what is trivial in itself popular culture and its attendant styles the zoot suit was originally a statement about creating a new wave of music and dress but it also held significant political meeting the flamboyant and colorful material indicated a desire to express oneself against the boring and somber slum lifestyle the zoot suit provided young african-american and mexican youth the sense of individualistic identity within their cultures and society as they discovered highly charged emotional and symbolic meeting through the movement music and dress the zoot suit typically included bright colored fabric long suit coats that often reached the knees wide shoulders and gathered or tapered pants the arm and ankle areas were often much tighter than the rest of the fabric giving the whole look a triangular shape do yourself a favor check out a zoot suit they are still fly on the night of june 3rd 1943 about 11 sailors got off a bus and started walking along main street in downtown la encountering a group of young mexican americans in zoot suits they got into an argument the sailors later told the LAPD that they were jumped and beaten by this gang, while the Zoot Suiters claimed the altercation was started by the sailors. The LAPD responded to the incident, including many off-duty officers who identified as the Vengeance Squad. The officers went to the scene, seeking to clean up Main Street from what they viewed as the loathsome influence of Pachuco gangs. The next day, 200 sailors got a convoy of about 20 taxi cabs and headed for East LA, the center of Mexican-American settlement. The sailors spotted a group of young zoot suiters and assaulted them with clubs. They stripped the boys of the zoot suits and burned the tattered clothes in a pile. There's pictures of this. They attacked and stripped everyone they came across who were wearing zoot suits. Media coverage of the incidents then started to spread, inducing more people to join the mayhem. As the riot subsided, most the most urgent concern of official was relations with Mexico, as the economy of Southern California relied on the importation of cheap Mexican labor to assist with the harvesting of California crops. After the Mexican embassy lodged a formal protest with the State Department, Governor Earl Warren of California ordered the creation of the Magookin Committee, headed by Los Angeles Bishop Joseph Magookin, to investigate and determine the cause of the riots. In 1943, the committee issued its report. It's determined racism to be a central cause of the riots, further stating that it was an aggressive practice of the media to link the phrase zoot suit with the report of a crime. The governor appointed the Peace Officers Committee on Civil Disturbances, chaired by Robert W. Kinney, president of the National Lawyers Guild, to make recommendations to the police. Human relations committees were appointed and police departments were required to train their officers to treat all citizens equally. Mayor Fletcher Bowron downplayed the, the role racial prejudice played in the riots and blamed Mexican youth gangs. Of course. <laughs> Later scholars generally characterized the Zoot Suit riots as a pogrom against the Mexican-American community. Many post-war civil rights activists and authors such as Lu Luis Valdez, Ralph Ellison, and Richard Wright have said they were inspired by the Zoot Suit riots. Cesar Chavez and Malcolm X were both zoot suiters as young men and later became political activists. So again, the way black history fact, doing our best to talk about other 
issues in this country. Um, this one highlights a very, 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 very small um, element of the rich tapestry of what it is our Mexican-American brothers and sisters have gone through in this country. But we're glad to have shared it with you today. So do some more research. There's a lot more there than we can cover here. And with that said, that's about it for us here. So once again, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am once again exhausted. <laughs> um, keep tuning in. If you feel like that there's something worthwhile here, if you feel like our mission is not one that is lost and benign, if you care about these things that we talk about, support us. That does not mean donate. Please donate if you can. But if you cannot share, you know, point your friends towards Civic Cipher. Go to our website. Go to our YouTube. Comment. Post. Share. Like. Subscribe. All of these things mean more than you could ever imagine. Even if you don't have a dollar, you can give us your attention, your time, and just that little bit of effort that's free helps us a ton. Absolutely. And uh, all of our platforms is at Civic Cipher. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question? Then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.